please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Hello, good morning. It's the 29th of July, 2020. We're ready to go. Um, again, as per usual, a few uh, housekeeping points before we start. First of all, quick reminder, we have uh, simultaneous translations. All you need to do is click on the button below and you'll see the various options there. If you would rather listen to, to English, then stick with us on, on this channel. Um, also, feel free to send us any questions that you might have via also the button below. Or, of course, you can always send questions to Nordea Funds at nordea.com. So today's topic is about EU ESG regulation um, and how that will affect our industry and how it will affect you as a distributor or an advisor. Um, but before I introduce my guest speaker today, I just wanted to quickly sort of give you some context regarding uh, Nordea and um, our journey that we've been through uh, with regard to, to sustainable uh, investing. So I have a quick slide for you uh, this morning. And uh, right, yeah, we can see it there. Basically, this timeline is showing you, um, you know, the various stages that we've been through um, in, in this responsible investing uh, journey. And that started more than 30 years ago uh, in 1988 when we um, launched the first uh, screened funds. And then you see, you know, as time goes by, we were one of the first signatories of the uh, UNPRI. So um, that was in 2007. And then we had our first thematic fund, uh, the Global Climate and Environment Fund, that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Uh, that was launched in 2008. And then we had the first of our STARS products. Uh, these are the dedicated um, ESG uh, products that we have. And the first one we launched was actually the Emerging STARS Equity Fund back in 2011. And then uh, as time goes on, we've added uh, sustainability, uh, the, the uh, responsible investment team, the voting portal that we have uh, that you can see where, we're, where we are voting. Um, and then the reports that we've been doing. And of course, more recently, we've launched some more STARS products uh, to add to the, the STARS range, both on the equity side and the fixed income side. So I just wanted to, to put it into a little bit of context for you. Um, obviously, this is not something new to Nordea, um, but things are really speeding up, particularly on the regulatory side, and that's what we wanted to talk to you uh, about this morning. So I would now like to introduce you uh, to my guest speaker, who is Michael Mordener. And Michael is the Managing Director and uh, Conducting Officer at Nordea Investment Funds. So, Michael, are you with us? Yes, good morning, everyone. Uh, hey. I'm here. Good morning. Um, so, I was just putting a little bit of context on everything. I'm not sure if you saw that, but um, being Nordic, you know, as a Nordic organization, ESG and, and responsible investing is, is really you know, part of our DNA, if you like. Um, but actually, the, the the Dutch and the Germans have always been sort of leaders in, in environmental protection as well. And Michael, you're, you're a German national. Uh, you studied in Germany. And I understand that 
when you were studying, you actually did a bit of academic research around ESG and responsible investing uh, during your time studying. Maybe you could sort of tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, thanks, Paul. And again, thanks for having me this morning. Uh, it's actually a fair point because during actually my legal studies, I actually put a bit of focus on environmental and uh, sustainability themes. So one of basically the major themes of my studies was uh, environmental law in Germany. But then also throughout my academic career, uh, when I did actually my MBA about some 10 years ago or so, uh, I also wrote my thesis uh, in the field of responsible investments for funds when I was already working here at Nordea because obviously, I mean, as one could see from the slide you showed at the beginning, Paul, um, we in Nordea, we have a long lasting footprint in this area. So it was made quite easy to me to basically stay close to the topic, but also to follow closely the regulatory developments in that field. So yes, uh, that's something that is quite close to my heart, I would say. Great, excellent. And, and you've mentioned it just there and I touched upon it as well. We, you know, from a regulatory perspective, things are really sort of hotting up now uh, with regard to ESG and, and responsible investing. So just to kick things off, maybe we should just start with the big picture. Can you, can you give us a bit of context, explain what's going on from a regulatory perspective right now? Sure. And I guess as everybody has already realized, uh, sustainability or ESG or whatever type of uh, words we're using here has become a mega trend in the asset management industry, but not only in our industry, but also in other industries, but particularly in the asset management industry. So it's a, actually an area that has grown out of niche into real mainstream. And also now regulators over the last couple of years, they basically have realized that there is a need for a framework uh, because in order to basically set a common level playing field for the activities, especially in the asset management industry, we need all to work within the kind same of uh, same kind of boundaries, I would say. So um, now we have seen the first uh, regulatory initiatives, the first drafts are out, or even some of the laws are already out. And uh, as I said, this framework is meant basically, if I try to simplify it in three uh, bullet points, it's basically meant to first clarify uh, the duties and responsibilities that we and also our distributors as financial market participants have. It's also meant to establish um, a dedicated and an aligned vocabulary. And we will come back to that maybe later when we're talking taxonomy, because it's also meant to avoid the greenwashing so that basically things are declared being green or sustainable or ESG when they are not really. And it's also meant the third bullet point probably just to say that uh, it will lay the foundation for the decades to come because there are long lasting goals that are meant to be achieved with all these regulatory initiatives, which will take time and which will actually uh, ask for a lot of endurance from all the participants in order to get there. So, so you've broken that down now into sort of three areas, but actually, you know, when you look at it, this, this framework is actually it's quite complex and messy. <laughs> I want a better word. Um, could you just maybe explain to us a bit about you know the, the broader picture? You know what's what's going on here. What, why is it so complex? And maybe then we can sort of start to untangle it a bit. Sure. And I guess we have this slide now that you see all here. And uh, across all the different uh, existing financial products or financial services claiming to be ESG, responsible investments or sustainable, there is this huge flood of different terms used. Sometimes they actually describe similar aspects. Sometimes there are tiny differences or notions to be uh, taken from different angles. So it's a bit like, you know, sometimes it feels like you don't see the entire forest because of all the different trees. So what is now meant with the different regulatory initiatives is to bring some structure 
to it. Uh, and it's, a, it's an attempt that has now just started with the first steps towards this kind of regulatory framework, uh, which coming back basically to where it all comes from uh, to reach the overarching goals in order to get basically sustainability at the core or at the heart also of the financial industry in order to support the demand of financial uh, sponsorship in order to foster um, the sustainability thinking. However, we are still somewhat at the beginning, I would claim, uh, of this regulatory process. Um, that's not a big surprise. I mean, that was kind of what was to be expected that we also will have with that being at the beginning, uh, quite a lot of uncertainty and also sometimes inconsistencies, uh, which means that also clarification and alignment is yet to come. But if I could basically for a second go back to the goals of the regulatory framework, maybe, um, and I will promise uh, not go into all the legal details, I guess that would <laughs> be the purpose of today's Thank you. talk. Uh, but the main starting point, I guess, for the asset management industry when it comes to sustainability is the EC's or European Commission's action plan on sustainable finance, which was basically uh, stating back to March 2018. And uh, it is kind of setting the tone for our industry with three main objectives. And these three main objectives are first and foremost to reorient the capital flows towards sustainable investments, very important, and also to mainstream sustainability into risk management so that we basically take it into account in our daily operations and how we manage our money, but also uh, foster long-termism and transparency, especially when it comes to financial and uh, economic activities. So all in all, this uh, sustainable uh, finance action plan is really basically the now the baseline for what is going to come in terms of regulatory developments uh, in the years uh, or even decades uh, to come. Okay, great. Perhaps um, it's a good time now to to draw out some some like concrete examples of the sort of regulatory uh, initiatives that we're seeing taking place um, right now. Sure. And uh, I would just use some buzzwords uh, because I guess we will have the time probably to go into some of the details later on. And um, we saw on the other slide earlier that there is things like the taxonomy regulation. There's also the regulation dedicated to disclosure. There's also new initiatives in terms of regulatory uh, guidance when it comes to green bond standards and eco label for retail financial products. Uh, but it's also important to uh, remember that it's not only new regulations that are putting, uh, put forward now as part of the Sustainable Finance Action Plan, there's also a set of existing regulations being amended to integrate sustainability matters. And especially those existing regulations, they are quite essential to understand also the impact on distribution. Uh, so just to name a few, uh, we have here the impact of MIFID. Uh, we also have the impact on IDED. So this is basically uh, in, uh, insurance distribution related. But on the product side, we also have usage and AFMD regulations uh, basically getting a grip now in terms of sustainability, but that's just to mention uh, the few highlights there and as said, we might get back to them at a later stage again. Yeah, for sure. Um, the impact of all of this is clearly, is gonna be massive. Um, but what do you think is the biggest challenge that the various players are facing um, with, with all of this regulation coming now? Well, I guess, to my opinion, uh, the biggest challenge is certainly complexity. Or if I probably can be a bit more precise, it's complexity together uh, with a current lack of clarity. Remember what I said, I mean, there's still a lot of clarifications and pieces of regulatory guidance to come. And we are now only at the beginning of this journey in order to, to get 
where we want to be at least in a regulation uh, context. But we also need to bear in mind, if we want to understand that fully, that ESG uh, or sustainability has been an active part of our uh, industry, but it was also largely unregulated for the time being. So hence there are certainly major challenges and also headwind from the industry participants uh, to put all this activity into a framework that at the end reaches the overall targets in the wider ESG context, obviously. And one thing is also not to be forgotten because whatever the uh, regulation will bring and we in the industry are to adapt to and to comply with, uh, there's also this goal that at the end, not only that we foster uh, transparency and long-term mission or basically redirect capital flows into sustainable finance, but it also needs to suit at the end the investor and makes him or her understand what he or she is buying into. So there's kind of a complexity when you look at the different angles and look at, at it from the different players. Uh, when trying to prepare for, for, for this uh, discussion this morning, Paul, I actually thought, how could I probably try to illustrate that? And uh, one could probably say that uh, the current situation, you can compare it to moving houses. Uh, as an industry, we have lived in our flat or house uh, or our apartment for quite some time now. And we are asked to move uh, now into something new. But the boxes we are given to put our belongings into are either not there yet, so clarification still uh, to come, or they simply do not fit the stuff that we need uh, to have in our house being put in there yet. So basically, it's a kind of situation that, okay, how will I transform? That's why it's also important that we bear in mind that there's also pieces of regulation out there which give already a certain degree of guidance, uh, which are still to be uh, further elaborated on uh, in the months and years to come. But uh, one highlight I would basically want to set there is uh, at least a taxonomy. Uh, that is now really the first step towards a kind of common vocabulary, at least for the E uh, aspects or environmental aspects of our sustainability world. And that will already help. Yeah, and just, uh, just for clarification, I think taxonomy shouldn't be uh, confused with taxidermy, which is uh, stuffing dead animals. And that's not what this regulation is about. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, Nordia has applied for a range of, of different labels for our dedicated ESG, the STARS range, but also for the Climate and Environment Fund. Um, so we have sort of pan-European labels. We have labels for France, Belgium, Germany, and so on. Um, but this is something that we're doing voluntarily. Um, and uh, I just you know, regulation sort of falls into the two categories. And I just wondered if you could explain to us a little bit about, about that. With pleasure. And um, to, or trying to keep it simple, I would say we can actually uh, put the, the two boxes up there. And one is basically the box of mandatory ESG or sustainability regulation. And the one is probably non-mandatory regulations. Mandatory ones are certainly the ones that we must consider being must-win battles. So not, that's not only for us must win battles here at Nordea, but also for the industry in order to reach this level playing field that I was talking about earlier. Examples are certainly the taxonomy, the disclosure regulation, as well as the changes brought forward to MIFID and USITS and AFMD. Non-mandatory regulations on the other side doesn't mean that we can basically neglect them. Uh, they are also still extremely important because uh, they basically help you defining the direction of your future business and that also means in terms of product offering, but also in terms of distribution. And Paul, you mentioned basically labels. There's, for example, a piece of regulation out there on eco-label. Uh, there's also pieces out there impacting benchmarks 
talking about uh, climate or Paris agreement aligned benchmarks. But there's also one essential point that is not directly impacting us as a financial institution, uh, but it's basically affecting the companies that we are investing in. And that is what is uh, um, called the NFRD, so the Non-Financial Reporting Directive. This piece of regulation is actually meant to clarify uh, how the investing companies that we have in our portfolios are to report on their sustainability features. So this is obviously an attempt to address the huge data challenge, because in order for us to assess basically what is sustainable, we need to basically get from the underlying companies that we and our funds are investing in, uh, the information to assess, is this really sustainable or not? So uh, this is already great that we get there with the NFRD. However, it's also to be borne in mind that NFRD is again a European concept. So this will work for companies that we're going to invest in from the block. But as soon as our investment is probably going to leave the block and we're going emerging markets or uh, the Americas, then it's going to be difficult. But at least we have now a starting point. So it seems like we're going to have a lot of rules to follow here. Um, perhaps we bring it to our audience now. You know, what, what's going to be important for distributors of funds or, or financial advisors who are taking products from asset managers, you know, how's it going to impact them? What's important for them? Perhaps you can sort of demystify that a little bit for us. Yeah, and I guess I would like to start uh, for this with just looking at the slide, uh, highlighting the few main regulatory impacts that I see for distribution. And that is certainly the taxonomy. Again, taxonomy is meant as a classification system to determine uh, what is an environmentally a sustainable economic activity. So it's at the end a tool that is meant to help investors, companies, but also us as financial market participants uh, in the transition to a more resilient and more resource efficient economy. So knowing about what the uh, taxonomy is and also knowing what the impacts of the taxonomy uh, are, that's quite essential to me. And I guess distributors should have a look at that. Uh, the second piece, um, is certainly the disclosure regulation. It's about how to be transparent and report or disclose, as the name indicates, uh, how you basically deal with sustainability in your products uh, that you establish or that you promote. And the same goes also for the services. And it will also give you kind of an indication as to how you classify your products uh, or the ones you're selling uh, going forward. Now this disclosure regulation comes uh, with a quite prescriptive uh, set of requirements meaning as to how you have to communicate to whom, through which channel. And basically there are three main challenges, uh, channels that are addressed there. One is certainly the pre-contractual, so in the terms of a fund that basically needs prospectus, uh, but also uh, in terms of website communication and disclosure, it goes even as far as stating in the regulation how you basically have to denominate the different sections of the website, which kind of sentences you sometimes have to use. And the third channel is also the annual reports. And this is important that it's now uh, taken uh, with the listeners and viewers, is that it does not hit only us as a manufacturer of products, but it also hits the distributors. There's even dedicated sections in this piece of regulation, which is having the headline financial advisors or relevant for financial advisors. So uh, this is something really to be uh, kept an eye on. And now one can obviously say it's, it's somewhat a paradox because uh, there's so much more disclosure that is to come and that we will have to do. And um, disclosure in, in general will be significantly increasing. Uh, now, obviously, there's still a lot of uh, reporting and disclosure going on in paper form, even though 
COVID situation has uh, changed a lot of it to, uh, to digital, but not everything yet. So uh, one could even go as far and say, and I'm probably a bit provocative to say, you probably would have to kill half a rainforest in order to get all the paper for these, all these additional print, uh, printouts. And I'm not really sure whether that's sustainable. And again, I'm exaggerating here, but it's just to basically describe a bit uh, where the challenges are. But when we are also taking a step further as to uh, what is it for the distribution in uh, particular that is uh, of relevance, I mentioned already usage and AFP on the product side, but MIFID and IDD, they are really key here and the amendments that are brought forward to them. So um, when looking a bit at MIFID too, because this is currently uh, a hot piece of debate in the industry and uh, when talking to peers or colleagues or stakeholders, I mean, they all uh, come and hooray about it because they say, I mean, we need to do something here. So there have been now the first delegated acts, that's the legal term for it, uh, that have been um, published uh, back in June. And uh, there's a lot of uh, controversial aspects in there, which are now being uh, discussed within the industry and also responses to these drafts are being phrased in order to address these challenges. But one key aspect that I would like to highlight in there is basically that there's a mention to integrate sustainability preference into the suitability assessment. For example, when providing investment advice or providing discretionary portfolio management. As we know, just maybe a quick step back uh, to suitability, there are three things that we need to look at uh, when providing these services. One being, does the client have the relevant knowledge and experience? Is he or she uh, able to bear uh, financial losses or, uh, and not or, uh, is it basically so that what I'm proposing, suggesting uh, to the client, is it meeting actually the client's investment objective? Now what comes with a change to MIFID 2 is basically this integration of, as part of the investment objective check, that you also need to ask the client about what is your sustainability preference? So basically, what do you want to achieve? Is it only that you have financial targets or basically do you also have sustainability targets? So do you want to contribute to this sustainability journey? And uh, there's right now, uh, between the different regulatory sets and drafts that we see, uh, there's quite a big uh, gap, I would say. And coming back to what I said earlier, this is now what is being uh, discussed and also hopefully will be adjusted uh, in the month to come. So you mentioned there, you know, we'll, we'll all be disclosing more, chopping down trees, hopefully a sustainable forest trees uh, to, to produce all this extra paperwork that we will need to deal with um, but also you, you, you also mentioned that you know the advisors will have to be asking uh, clients about not only their risk but also their sustainability preferences and and guiding them in in, in that as well what other ways is this going to change the sort of day-to-day -day of, of an advisor you know what other impact is this going to have well, I will try to keep this short because I think that uh, this very much depends also on uh, the way uh, the distributor, the advisors are set and uh, what they basically want to do in the future. But that's also bringing me to my first point and that's actually already to, if not yet started, then do it now, start thinking about what is my future offering uh, in order to cover the sustainability angle. Because as an advisor, I will be asked and I will be forced to check the sustainability preference of my clients. So there's no way really around that. Um, then also I would probably uh, start consider looking at what are my internal processes, at least not to conclude on them because that's way too early because we're still lacking so much guidance uh, from the regulators, but at least to initiate uh, the groundwork to assess 
what's the impact of the regulation on my business model, my operations, including obviously the disclosure, and certainly also what is it on my client base? Do I have already among my client base certain uh, clients who basically have already expressed a wish to basically invest sustainably? So there is already a demand to act quickly. And that basically brings me to my third point, and that is um, sustainability is not only a threat. Sustainability is a huge opportunity and not only being part of something that can make our world a better place, but at the same time, it also has an upside from an investment point of view. So it's a long-term game, even though that is an opportunity, which basically means that we won't change basically the climate impact uh, due to greenhouse gas emissions, for example, uh, overnight. That's not going to happen. So we need to have a long breath. Uh, and that also means that for uh, distributors, it could be quite advisable uh, to be early in following the debate, to also be early in defining and potentially even calibrating the future direction of businesses so that it can be actually having a positive impact on their future successes. Exactly, um, which is why we're doing the session today, um, you know, to get you thinking about this. And, and of course, uh, Nordia have a, a range of different products that, that could perhaps help you uh, going forward. I should have mentioned at the beginning that this is uh, the first part of a two-part series that I'll be doing with you, Michael. Um, we'll be meeting again in, in three weeks' time. I think it's the 19th of August. We'll be having another morning session. Um, and what we, we thought we'd do is, is you know, if you have questions uh, based on this first session that you'd like to send us, then please do that. Um, you can send it again, nordeafunds at nordea.com. Send us your questions. You've got three weeks, so no excuses, plenty of time. Um, and what we'll do is we will try and integrate those um, in that second session uh, that we run. So, you know, we're really trying to help you uh, and help you understand this. And, and it's a bit of, obviously, you, you see it's a bit of a, a minefield right now. So, um, you know, any clarity that we can bring uh, to that discussion, um, then, then please do use us for that. So maybe now we can get to the, the key takeaways from, from the session today. Um, and we have a slide, hopefully. Yep, here we go. So, so yeah, here we go. Um, first of all, uh, clearly this is a very complex and wide ranging set of regulations. Um, but as you literally just mentioned, you know, it's, it's a long-term game, um, some, something that we'll perhaps pick up in the next session. Um, ESG offering will be an absolute must, in our opinion, um, and disclosure will only increase. Uh, but also, you know, all participants really need to start uh, to position themselves uh, right now. Here at Nordea, uh, we've had a project team in place for the last 12 months working on this. And, um, and of course, you know, and, and advisors and, and distributors need to start planning as well. And that's why we're running this session. And if I could chip in there, Paul, uh, for a second, uh, this is very true what you're saying, because for us at Nodea, it's extremely important to be close to our clients, but also to help them to, uh, to find their way through this forest that we have been showing them. So uh, also be reminded, send us your questions for next time. Excellent. Good. Um, next week, we will be focusing on our new uh, flexible credit fund. 
that is run externally by Capital Four, who also manage our European High Yield Bond Fund. So please tune in for that. Uh, in the meantime, don't forget to visit our Stay Alert microsite um, at nordia.lu, and there you'll find all of the past interviews we've done, you'll find podcasts, you'll find Q&As as well. Um, and yeah, as Michael just said, don't forget to send us any questions you have uh, regarding all of this regulation. I will see you on the 5th of August. Until then.